We'll send. Well, that certainly was a basketball game that was played at PNC Arena on uh, Tuesday night, NC State and Wake Forest. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Lotcast. We're recording this one a little later than we usually do, so we'll call it Lotcast After Dark. Uh, so uh, no, maybe no filter tonight. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. But uh, uh, we're going to talk about the, the NC State uh, men's basketball game against Wake Forest, which had a lot happen. But the Wolfpack somehow, some way, are 5-1 and one in the ACC. Crazy. Guys, your thoughts. Who's who wants to go first? I uh I sat uh and repeatedly said like a crazy person in an asylum rocking in a chair, uh, this team can't hurt me tonight. I think I said it like a hundred <laughs> times, uh, because the UNC game really hurt me. Uh, because I knew they were better than that. And uh, you know, <laughs> it definitely seemed like they were gonna lose for a long time. Um, but uh then they didn't. And uh, roughly eight billion things happened between point one and point two. There, um, see, we had was it three ejections, six technicals, two middle fingers, um, and there was a lot going on, and something else. And happened a partridge too. in a pear tree. There was more of all of that than there was made threes from state. State literally shot fifty four percent in a basketball game, or didn't make a three the entire game. Have you ever seen that before? No, I haven't. <laughs> I don't. That? I I don't like the stat that Kevin Keats has as many ejections as NCAA tournament appearances, but it's a legitimate stat. And here we are. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, maybe since before the addition of the three point line, you could say they had that stat line. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, you know, um, Jim Valvano won a lot of a lot of basketball games where his team didn't make a three. So that's that's something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is anybody, I, go ahead. Is anybody? Go ahead. Sorry. I was all set to come on here and kind of talk about how the vibes are all off on this team, and uh, it's you know right after the Kevin Keats ejection, <clears throat> it just looked like everything was going to go downhill, um, and then they came out after halftime like a different team. The the defense just started locking them down, and Historically, NC State does that thing where, where they'll cut it down really close and they kind of get your hopes up and then they'll, then they'll lose it at the end. That's like the, the traditional trajectory of, of a classic NC State team. So then they pulled it down to like within single digits and then went right back up to, to double digits right, right after that. Almost it seemed like they, they uh, you know, this team, you know, Kevin Keats' teams generally have, have a way of going on 10-0 runs and 0-10 runs, you know, uh, at, at the drop of a hat. But, you know, it, it, once they put their mind to the, to the defense, I can't say I've, I've seen them lock down a team in the last 10, 12 minutes of a game like that. It's just, it's a good, you know, it's, it's a really good win for NC State. And also, uh, I think that the, the lineup was a little better tonight as far as player rotation and who they played. We have to have Mo Diara. We have to have Ben Middlebrooks. We have to. Those guys have to play. Uh, and DJ Burns is DJ Burns, but I, those guys have to play more. Um, you know, I just think that we've – I think that was a a better use of the, of the, of the players maybe tonight, seems like to me. 
who was I, I didn't get to I didn't get a chance to see the whole second half. Who was the who was the acting head coach? Was it Kareem Richardson? Was that who yes. was doing it? Yeah. Okay, all right. So I mean, you know, I think he did a good job in the second half with the way things went. You know, I'm I was I was all I, I was a little bit worried about this game, and I after you know the first half, I'm thinking okay, but you know to their to their credit, they came back, and I mean maybe it's about time that we start believing in this team a little bit. You know? Yeah, you might be right. I mean, it's, it's I, almost like a house of cards sometimes because you're you're expecting that thing to fall, but maybe we should start believing in this team. So let me ask you this then, because <laughs> Assad wasn't here last week, but uh, Alec and Joel had a pretty lively conversation about the basketball team last week, and Alec mentioned that this team's going to lose a lot of games, but uh, here we are, <laughs> five and one in the ACC. Uh, come on, Alec. You're going to be put on the spot here, my man. What What, what are your thoughts right now? <laughs> well, I, okay. So I don't think you could you could blame me for, for saying, expecting that, that DJ. No, Moore of course not. not gonna, of course not. It's not going to suddenly go nine for 15 from inside the, inside the arc. Like it, it seemed like it was almost like a foregone conclusion that that was not going to be a part of the offense and that was going to hamper them. That was going to hamstring them the whole year. Uh, but that's the, the, there's, there's two or three big things that I really saw in this game. And, and number one for me is that DJ Horn was nine of 15 from two. And he didn't, I don't think he made a single basket at the rim, right? He was hitting from eight to 10, mostly with the floater. And we talked endlessly about this in the last podcast where, you know, state was getting eaten up by soft drop coverage because basically what that does is it dares you to shoot from eight to 12 feet. Right, you're not going to get to the rim. You can protect the rim. You're going to chase the shooters off the line. You're not going to have to rotate off of the off-ball shooters, right? But it gives up that mid-range shot, and that was fine for defenses because DJ Horn was was not making those at all. But it wasn't even like it was just a switch, a complete flip of the switch. He was nine of fifteen from two, and it really transformed the game. The last couple of minutes of the game, weight completely changed the way they were defending the pick and roll because they just were getting eaten alive by DJ. He was just eating them completely. Uh, so they pulled the big way up, and it was like one play later. Like we got a Middlebrooks uh, slip to the basket for I think he got two free throws. He may have got a bucket. I don't remember what he got, but you know that just opens up so much more stuff that you can do. Uh, you know when you can when you can you know make that big do more than just stand there, and that's basically what teams were doing until this point. So that's a huge, huge that changes a lot about the team. Uh, and uh, Middlebrooks and uh, Horn uh, from from two 14 of twenty. Yeah, so I should have asked it this way then uh, from last week. Is is what did you see that was different from last week's podcast to this week? And you kind of answered it there a little bit. But um, what what do you feel like this does, guys, for the momentum of this team? Because, you know, the UNC loss was a backbreaker. Um, but, you know, they're right in the thick of the ACC right now. It's going to help them. It's going to help them with momentum. You know they're going to have another chance at uh, at UNC. They're going to have they got to play Duke soon, so it's going to be you know, I think they I think it's going to give them a little more confidence. I think that we have a really good shot if we can just if we can just execute and play fundamental basketball, fundamentally sound basketball like we didn't against UNC last week. We have a really good chance of beating them. And you know I think if we keep how many rebounds did DR have? It was it uh, how many did he have tonight? Twelve, thirteen. Wow. He's he's a rebounder. He's got to be mm-hmm. in there to rebound because he's our best. I mean, without without him, you know, Middlebrooks rebounds okay. Burns doesn't really rebound that great for a big guy. I mean, 
that's important. I mean, and he also plays really good defense. So I really am happy that ER is getting more minutes. And I think that's, I think that's, we, Alec and I talked about that. We think that that's really uh, key to this team is Moe DR. I mean, and yeah. I think, I think we got some more confidence, you know, I think it's going to, I think if we can build on this confidence and they start believing in themselves, you know, we can, we can make some noise. Yeah. He had four on the offensive end and nine on the defensive end. Um, and he played 25 minutes tonight. He played more minutes than Burns played. I, you know, Burns seemed like he went into the hallway, like he was uh, going to be sick. I, I don't know if that had, had hampered his. He did get um, sick, actually. Yeah, he threw up the in the trash can, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that, that, that's what it looked like. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it seemed like, you know, overall the, the rotation was like a, a, a tight eight players that, that they kept it to. And it, it seems like they're settling in on the, the eight guys that they feel like they can, they can generally trust. And the one thing that we've been trying to look for is can they close a game? This was a, a tight conference game against a really good team that will most likely make tournament. And they found a way to not just chip their way back in the game, but to then close the door and seal it at the line and, and not give that lead back up again once they got it. So you know, I, I hope that this bodes well for them. You know, the, the schedule is okay for, you know, uh, <clears throat> coming up. You know, they got Virginia Tech and, again, Virginia, who they already beat, and Syracuse and Miami and Georgia Tech. So there's some winnable games there if they play like this. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what the stat is on how many threes they attempted in the first half versus the second half, you know, but they were what, like over eight for the game. And it's, it's really, you know, a, a testament to what their second half strategy was that, that they just abandoned the three. It seemed like uh, down the stretch and just took it to the hoop, which they have been needing to do for a long time. Just make the refs call the fouls. And, and they did that. And, you know, to their credit, they made they made the free throws. Yeah, I think you've got a, a real a, a budding real pick and roll threat with Horn and, and Middlebrooks now, which State has not had that really all year. Horn has been kind of iffy at the point guard. Burns is not a roll threat at all. So you, you know you really had a lot of issues there that I think you saw some reason to believe that they won't you know live out the rest of the season with that uh, this year. I think you know I, I like Middlebrooks more every time he, every time I see him play. He does so much well. You know, he's never going to be a guy that scores outside of the paint. Uh, but that, you know, that that's a nice thing to have. But it's not the end of the world to not have that. Right? He uh, he does a lot of things really well. Um, and I think you made a great point, Joel, that you know Mo is you know like I said last week, like one of my favorite players. Like in many years, I love this guy. He's so good. And uh, yeah, they need him. They need them both on the court. I think that um, at times. Uh, you know, the, the, the rotation kind of was what it was because, uh, you know, Burns was vomiting in a trash can. Um, but, um, you know, we'll see how, how they how they handle that going forward. But I think you have a reason to believe that you give more minutes to the other bigs now just because you can run offense with those sets more if you're going to get this kind of shooting from Horn. Right? It opens things up. So it's exciting. At, at what point do we need to ask the question of whether Diara should start over DJ Burns? I don't think the R is enough of an offensive threat. I think that that's an issue that we're going to have with, with, so, you know, Middlebrooks can score uh, and Burns, that's obviously his game. I don't, I don't think you get as much of that with the R. So it's kind of like, 
like we were talking about last week, like the pieces don't fit together great. I think you still have some of those issues, right? Because you have, uh, you know, DR is a guy that you want on the court to get boards and to play defense, and right? he transforms the defense, right? But but he hamstrings you a little bit on offense because he doesn't he doesn't do a whole lot well at that end of the court right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of guys that do things well, and it's. It's, it'll be interesting to see how they piece the lineups together going forward because there's a lot you can do. I mean, DJ Burns is DJ Burns, and he's going to score. He's a, he, you know he's a really good scorer, but you know I think teams are starting to figure it out a little bit, and maybe that's why he's struggling a little bit now. And so when that happens, you got to have people step in and take up the slack. And I think Middlebrooks is doing a really good job of that. Uh, Diara, Diara, I think he could score a lot more if you know I don't know he just he hasn't. But I think he could. Uh, so I mean, I just think maybe Burns should play less minutes. And I, some people won't think this is a good good take on this, but I think he should play a little less minutes. Middlebrooks and Diara should play a little more. I also would like to see Burns with Diara on the court more, and Burns with Middlebrooks on the court. Mm. Yeah, if you give both Diara and Middlebrooks more opportunities going towards the basket and not asking them to, to make too many outside shots. And Diara has the potential to, to make those, but maybe not a, a, at the regular clip that we would want. Then, you know, he'll make as many shots as he has opportunities. Everything he made tonight was pretty much point blank. I mean, he had three field goals, three for four, but um, it, it, it seemed like he could give teams a lot of issues down low. And he just moves his feet so much better than DJ Burns does. You know, I'm not, uh, obviously yeah. we're all big fans of DJ Burns. Um, it's, you know, it's just, um, at this point in the conference schedule, I'm, I'm not sure that he is, I don't, I don't know, maybe his, his body isn't right at, at this point, um, stamina wise to, you know, be at, at the right place of, uh, where it needs to be. How about, uh, how about the, the coaching clinic from Kevin Keats to get DJ Horn to make a bunch more shots? <laughs> that was Isn't that cool. a question we got asked last week? Why doesn't Keats make more shots? Well, he just that, passed that it off. That was to, a question. He just yeah, passed yes. it off to DJ Horn. Which, speaking of questions last week, we'll have to get to the one that was asked for Assad later. But uh, nonetheless, yeah. um, what was different in this game from the Louisville game? Because the Louisville game, State really got off to a hot start, and then Louisville crawled back. What were kind of the differences in this one that, you know, made State look a little bit more competent in a way? They defended really well in this game late. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't defend well the whole game. This isn't a great defensive team, but it's far from a bad one. Uh, and I think when you know when you when you have Burns out of the game and you have Diara and 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 Middlebrooks as your primary primary bigs. I think this it becomes a good defensive team. You know, people question why Jaden Taylor is out there because he's his offense has been a complete disaster the last couple of games. He's an excellent on-ball defender. That's why he's mm. out there because that matters too. This is a this is team is hamstrung defensively by Burns. I think we all know that. Uh, that's just a matter of fact. Uh, but but when he's not in the game, this is a pretty good defensive team most of the time, and they were dominant at the end of this game. And that had a lot to do with uh, the the late run that you know pieced together what ended up being a huge win because they shut that down. Uh, and that was really um, I think they had a couple dumb fouls, but I think they gave up like was it one basket in the last handful of possessions, and it was like 
a late shot clock contested jumper. Like, yeah, they, they yeah. played really good defense. And, um, you know, Louisville guarded the pick and roll a little bit differently. Uh, Louisville played a little zone, which was idiotic. Um, Louisville is terrible. Uh, I actually thought State probably should have lost that game. Uh, I thought they were fortunate that Louisville had as many defensive miscommunications and attempted to play a 1-3-1 matchup for some reason instead of just manning up, which they should have done. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, State was – I don't think State was fortunate to beat Wake. I think they were the better team. I think they earned every bit of it, and I think that is uh, just a high-level difference there. Did anybody yeah, catch Steve Forbes on the hot mic tonight? No. No. Apparently he said uh, you could very clearly hear him tell, tell the ref that one of his calls was terrible on uh, on the on the ACC network. This, this was a hilarious game for the state of basketball officiating, for yeah. sure. I mean, I feel bad for the referees. Yeah, I, I saw the, the stat um, just after the game that – the referee is on what on his eighth game in eight days with uh, cross country travel, so you know it's it's not it's almost not fair to to the mm-hmm. refs to have to have to to to, to do that. Um, he's I don't, I don't know if fatigue is is settling in there, but you know there was just egregious calls. It did seem like it settled down uh, late in the half, like the last ten minutes or so. Uh, compared to how it was in the first half uh, for Kevin Keats. I mean, he has to generally keep his cool even in, in those heated situations, you know, as a professional basketball coach. But um, it, still, he he was right to be upset for a lot of those calls or, or non-calls. The, the one that he actually got, I think I would have gotten ejected on that one. That was, that was really, I mean, it was terrible. It really was bad. And... You know, Assad was talking about officials working eight days. That didn't used to happen. It used to be you had ACC officials, you had Big Ten officials. Now you got officials that work conference from from coast to coast, and they're 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 you know working every night. And it fatigue does have an, an impact on that. It really yeah. does. Uh, you know, so I mean, Keats, I've never he was very upset. I've never seen him that way. Uh, I you know maybe that kind of sparked the guys. Maybe that got him. Got them going a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that's what – sometimes that happens, you know. Some guys get technicals on purpose just to get their team fired up. Um, now, having – getting two and, and four, that's that's probably not a good idea when you're in a close game. But it worked out okay, you yeah. know. So. Well, um, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that – I don't think getting ejected in the first half is a, a great move. But um, – <laughs> Kevin Keats has won uh, 2.43 consecutive basketball games against Wake Forest now. Um, so that's that's a good little run he's on because I know Wake has always been a bugaboo for, <laughs> for State. Um, yeah, generally, like, yeah, you, you can't do that. I mean, you can't get thrown out of a game like that. I, 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 it, the call was uh, – it was hilariously bad, and I think we all recognize that. But, like, yeah, you can't do that. You just can't. You, not, in the, not You can't be getting kicked out of a game in the first half like that. I mean, you got to – manage that a little bit better as the head coach i think when you do that i understand that you know that fire like it builds on people and 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 brings some energy but i think it also shows like a a lack of a lack of discipline that can also get you know transported through the rest of the game it was a very heated very uh aggressive game between the you know neither team seemed to really like each other very much so Mm -hmm. um you know 
it's whatever. It happens. Uh, it shouldn't happen again, hopefully. Um, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, you were talking about how it seemed like Wake had kind of figured out DJ. It seems like the, the, the film is out there now on how to defend him. It you know They brought the double team to him, but they sent bigs, two bigs at him with their hands up in the passing lane, expecting him to pass out of the double team. And then they deflected a few of those attempted passes. So it um, was a really effective way to kind of uh, shut down a lot of the things that he's been able to do in the past. It's really good that uh, DJ Horn's playing so well. I wish Jaden Taylor was playing better offensively. Uh, it's like Alex said, defensively, we need him. But it would really be nice if he was more of an offensive threat right now. He's in a real slump. And then Casey Morsell just disappears at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just disappears. And he's having a really tough year compared to last year. This this reminds me more of his first year here than last year. So I don't know what's going on with Casey, but we really could use a little more scoring from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said to somebody, I thought it was very ironic for a guy like Casey Morsell to get his 1,000th point at the free throw line. I thought that was a little ironic, but he he's a three and D guy and uh he was good at it last year. And uh yeah, his shot. Shooting's such a fickle thing. I mean we just got done talking about DJ Horn, right? You know, you talked about, you know, that mid range game, the floater game against, you know, Notre Dame and UNC, three of twenty two, nine of fifteen tonight. Like it's it's a fickle thing. It's the same shot. Uh you know, there's more floaters being shot tonight than there were mid range jumpers, but he made a couple of those too. Shooting's just a fickle thing. And I think, you know, people want to see guys shoot less when they're struggling. A lot of that with Traquavion Smith last year. A lot of people yelling about that. Um, I've seen people yelling about Casey Marcel this year. The only way to break out of a shooting slump is to shoot the basketball. To see it go through the basket. Uh, so, you know, somebody asked me earlier, like, what, 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 what kind of coaching do you think went into DJ Horn suddenly making shots? None. He just, you, you green light the guy because you know he can make it. Uh, and you get a couple that go through the basket, and it just it's just a mental thing, and it just changes things for you. So, yeah, I think Casey should keep shooting. He shot 41% last year. I think he, if he comes on suddenly and starts, you know, hitting outside jumpers, you get even more floor spacing. Suddenly, this offense is starting to come together a little bit. So I think you got to keep the green lights on for the guys that are uh, struggling to, you know, make shots that have proven that they can. Yes, yes and no. I think that there are definitely ways to, to shoot your way out of a slump, but you have to put up good shots. And a lot of the three-point attempts they were doing were rushed. As soon as they got it, you could tell their hands and feet weren't set, and they were just trying to get the shot up and towards the rim before the defender could come there. So there's ways that you could run motion towards the three-point line, have him come off a screen. That way you can get him the ball timed well as he's setting his feet, going towards the hoop. So that way he's got his momentum, he can get his feet set, and he's um, shooting the basketball in motion. You know, if he can do that kind of stuff, then you can get a confident shot up. You want to be able to give the guy a few feet of space, and then you're, you're making the attempt to you know, tell him that you're trying to build back up his confidence, not just say, hey, you got to be like, when you get the ball, shoot it. Um, it's making a concerted effort of trying to get him the ball in space where you know that he can confidently make it. 
I think they've done some of that. They've 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 ran him as the second screener through Ram a couple of times. I just think it's hard to do that with a guy like Marcel because he's such a pure shooter offensively. Like he doesn't have it's just it's just too easy to just run him off the line. Um, you know, cause cause he doesn't he's not really a threat to score around the basket. And I think that's kind of some of the issues they'd had offensively as a whole, uh, really before tonight. And you you know, Marcel's kind of like a microcosm of that. I mean, he's a three and D guy. You know, you want him out there to stand in the corner and to stand on the wing and to space the floor. And, uh, you know, if you get help off of him, you want him to be able to knock down that shot. And then you want him to be able to guard on the ball. And that's more or less all they're asking of him other than they do these little isolation things for him sometimes that, you know, he's been pretty darn good shooting the ball inside the inside the uh, the arc this year. And a lot of those have just been contested uh, fadeaways. Uh, he seems to have that. as a, It's a little bit of an isolation thing. States ran the number of times late in the shot clock. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think he has to continue to get the shots and I know they're not all, you know, he's going to miss more, but, uh, if you put him on the bench then you know, you lose a good defensive piece and you lose any chance of him turning in, you know, ha- turning the shooting around. I mean, he could get hot at any time and figure that out and get some confidence and start hitting threes like he did last year. And that would help a lot. Uh, that would you know that would help us uh, a whole lot as far as having him as a as another outside threat and making shots, uh, you know. So there is there's some optimism. I have some optimism now. Uh, I was a little concerned after the Louisville game because we really didn't play that well, uh, and Louisville really isn't that good. So <laughs> I was concerned, but uh, tonight is much more encouraging. And you know, if we can just get some a few things figured out, we can. We can maybe be in the thick of this all the way till the end. Louisville I want to know just like decision. not good. They're one of the worst teams in all of Division One. Yeah, Louisville it would have been a legitimate Q four loss. Yeah, that's they bad. are atrocious. I can't believe how many times they just got completely confused on defense. I mean, it and and yeah, and then we talked about it many. They played four different possessions of zone. This is not a team I would zone if I was coaching against State. So I, yeah, the Kenny Payne, I don't know how I let, let that go on this long. I mean, Louisville's lost it to a D2 school in an exhibition two years in a row. You don't see power four programs doing that. So yeah. that's not not good at all. I, I'm curious who thought it was a good idea for NC State to play Duke and UNC 48 hours apart at the end of their schedule. That is going to be a gauntlet. I don't, I don't know Duke why I just saw UNC that today. 48 hours apart. I just saw that today. I, I, I hadn't realized that was on the schedule. Um, well, neither did month. I. What month is it? It's, it's March. It's like the last week of the season. Yeah. The yeah, last week of the season. It's like yeah. March 2nd and March 4th. Back-to-back games at UNC and then at home against Duke. I was hoping it might snow and they might get postponed. <laughs> one. That seems unlikely. Maybe a sinkhole will show up underneath the Dean, <laughs> dean Dome. I forty sinkhole, yeah. <laughs> but but maybe it's a good thing that we're playing them at that part at that point in the season because if we can get if we can get this figured out and get better and keep improving, maybe we got a shot at those two games. Uh, also, we might have you know we might have some motivation going into the tournament. We, we maybe we need to beat one of those teams to, to get a better place in the tournament. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen there. You know, so it could have been worse. That could have been the first two games. You know, yeah. and that would have been. I think that would have been a whole lot worse. So I'm not really upset about it being at the end. Now, being 48 hours apart, that's a little bit much. 
maybe, you know. So, but other than that, I'm I'm okay with them playing those two in the final two games. Yeah, and then obviously the ACC tournament would follow that, and it's in Washington D.C. this year. So, um, I don't know if I like it in Washington D.C. because the school that was in the ACC, that was the Washington D.C. market, is not in the ACC anymore. So, right. <laughs> Maryland. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know uh, why. Why it's in Washington D.C. But we can. We can worry about about that later. I wanted to ask Assad the question that was asked last week of 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 him, and and he was not able to make it on the podcast last week. Uh, but Alex G wanted to know your hottest movie takes, and you obviously listened <laughs> to last week's show because. Mm-hmm. You and I already disagree on something, but uh, give us your hottest movie takes. So, you know, I took great offense. My, my ears were burning when I heard you guys <laughs> um, trying to put so much <clears throat> disrespect on the masterpiece that is The Last Jedi. We don't oh. have the time tonight. We're recording late as it is. I could go on a 20-minute rant talking about how The Last Jedi is arguably the second or third best Star Wars movie in the entire franchise. Um, mm-hmm. And with with everything that they talk about, um, I've, I've seen it, that one movie, I've seen it as many times as I've seen the original trilogy. Um, I, mean, not, maybe, I can't say that. I've seen the original trilogy dozens of times, but um, mm-hmm. it's it's a phenomenal film. And the, I, I, you know, I can't, Spent all the time that it would take to go in, into to why why that is. Um, and Alec was trashing the Marvel films, which I really really enjoy. I I agree with you that many of those movies are generally average. Uh, for the most part, the way to think about those movies is they are the new evolution of the generic popcorn summer blockbuster, which had, they've always been just regular average action movies that you go in for two hours and they kind of just wash over you, enjoy it. And then you kind of leave. Most of those movies are not really objectively bad. They have become not so great in the last couple of years since Endgame. But the ones that are the best of those series are just really, really good. And the, the, what they've done, the thing with those characters is that they mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, And they're some of the best, people could have hoped for in terms of adapting those characters to the screen and um, watching Avengers Endgame in the theater with a, was the first show on opening night uh, was it's probably going to go down as the best in theater experience that I'll ever have um, the way that it's like 10 years of movies waiting for it to land. And the, the main thing to take on, on, why Marvel is good, even though a lot of their movies are are pretty good. They might be like a 7 or an A. They're not phenomenal. They pulled off the greatest magic trick in movie history, and they came along just at the time when people were really getting into serialized television, and they liked to... to people were just getting into Netflix watching and binge-watching series, and how he, there was a continuing story and no one had ever done this before of taking one movie to the next to the next to the next and having it going in an ongoing story before. So it really latched on for a lot of people, um, you know, in, in even 
if one movie was just okay, another one came along that was was better, and and you could see how they were building overall an entire world. So you know, I would say that there there's a lot worse that you could do than you know m- movies that are made by some big corporate machine. Just look at all the movies that DC has put out in the last ten fifteen years, and you could do you could do a lot worse than than what Marvel has done. So that's that's my my short Marvel take, but uh, to flip it back on what I'm sure Alec will take great offense to, uh, my my hot take is uh, Christopher Nolan is one of the most overrated directors in uh, all of Hollywood. Uh, I think Assad just got fired. I think I think he's I I think he's really good. The my main I'm thing with editor Chris, of this site. Don't don't forget that. Okay, look. I really I have seen pretty much every single one of his movies. I think he's really really good. Um, a lot of his early stuff uh, was was Memento, Prestige. A lot of it was really good, and obviously Dark Knight is one of my absolute favorite movies. But I think he just at some point started drinking his own Kool Aid with how great he was, and it, he just got into this thing that I would call like timey-wimey shenanigans with a lot of his movies. And Inception is is really good. But then if you really think about it and the way that it's constructed, you can't explain it to anyone. And I watched, I rented Tenet and then I watched it and I got so angry watching that movie that I watched it the next day saying, it has, there has, it, this has to be me. Everyone's talking about how great this movie is. And I watch it the next day and I got even angrier watching it the second time. And I started watching YouTube videos that were trying to explain it to me. And it's, it, I, I got more and more upset the longer that I thought about this movie. And every time I think about it, it just, it really bothers me. So I, I think he, he just gets up into his, he, up into the own smoke that people have been blowing up his butt for a long time. And I think Oppenheimer is a very good two hour movie that is three hours long. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's quite good. He might win the Oscar. Um, his production value is off the charts. I enjoy that he really puts a lot of investment into making the in theater experience something that people uh, want to go to enjoy, because that's something that I really enjoy doing, is actually going to the movie theater. Uh, I'll always enjoy it, and I hope movie theaters never go away. Um, so like, I definitely took the time to see Oppenheimer in a Dolby screen. Um, but just a lot of the movies he's made since The Dark Knight have been so overly convoluted that anytime somebody says to me that they enjoyed the movie Interstellar, I, I don't understand how they could possibly watch that movie and say that it was, it was good. I was watching, I, I got just a hair less angry watching that movie than I did Tenet because it had a lot of really good that it could have been just wrapped up in a lot of just unnecessary convolution. Uh, and I just want to like just be going there with like a chopping block and just like edit out like forty minutes of the movie and make it like, a much tighter story. It doesn't doesn't need to be as confusing as it is. So it just it just bothers me because he he does things so well in terms of the way he designs his movies and puts everything together that you could just just 
narratively have a, a little bit simpler of a structure so that the audience doesn't have to have their head hurting when they're watching your movie of understanding who the characters are, what the point of the story is, what's their motivation, and then what's the resolution at the end. Even if you're, even if it's a relatively open-ended, that's okay. I like those kind of stories too. But to not understand what happened, just literally what happened in this movie, then that's that's when you've gone too far. So that's my take. Okay, my witness. <laughs> okay, okay. So I know we're, we're we're trying to make this a shorter episode, but I'm gonna I'm gonna reply to these replies first and foremost. The I, I, I think it's a very good take and a very important thing to say that uh, the Marvel characters have a lot of meaning to people because that's something that's lost on me personally and I don't think I should let that affect my views. So I'm glad that you said that because that's important to a lot of people. It's something I don't connect with, but I obviously have no issue with you know that being a, a big part of people's movie-going experiences is a little bit of nostalgia factor and that's all, that's all great. So very, very, very fair very very fair response on the the marvel films there tenant is christopher nolan's worst movie it is garbage uh you will not get any argument from me it is absolutely the most vain vanity project i've ever seen in hollywood and it didn't it didn't do as well as it should have because i think a lot of people realize that that was pretty much crap it was uh it was showing off more than anything else and i, I think you're right about that um i don't think that's true at all about interstellar and I definitely don't think that's true about Oppenheimer. And I think Oppenheimer was exactly as long as it should have been. And the movie was basically broken into two sections that were designed to be juxtaposition of sort of, you know, you know, action without um, moral consideration and then flipping that on its head into receiving action without moral consideration and you he experiences both of those and it's actually really really interesting and really well done juxtaposition that i think makes it a really really good movie um so i will break with you on oppenheimer and definitely break with you on interstellar i thought interstellar was very easy to understand um i'm not sure what was complicated about that they go up in a spaceship and they go look for new worlds uh the only part that left a little bit of of of, um, complication was the very 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 end inside the black hole yeah, you go um, into a black hole and you end up in a bookshelf. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 out in the out in the um, you know, in in the land of make believe at that point. But what's actually cool about the movie is everything up until that, the science as we understand it today, is very accurate. Yeah, um, everything through the wave planet and all that. So I actually the only beef I have with Interstellar is it's basically a ripoff of two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah, uh, which I didn't know that when I first saw it, and it's once I saw Space Odyssey, it started to bother right. me a little bit. Uh, but I still very much love Interstellar, and uh, I will stand up for that. And Oppenheimer, and Inception is more uh, accomplishment of pacing than mm-hmm. it is of uh, story construction. It's very uh, plot holy if you think about it too much. So I'll definitely yeah. give you that. But as a as a pacing movie, it's a masterpiece. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm being a little tongue in cheek, obviously, with with my take. You know, I I really enjoyed Inception when I saw it in the theater, and then like months down the road, when I really tried to pick it apart, uh, you know, even like the next day, that like talking about it with people that I saw it with, <clears throat> like what happened then, and then we couldn't kind of kind of figure it out. But it, you know, moment to moment in the theater, it, it's a really enjoyable experience, and obviously the, the visuals of that movie are 
are really well done. You know, um, uh, I was being a little facetious with with Oppenheimer. I I I think that you know the the pacing in the last hour could have been a little bit better. But overall, it is you know it is a a, a good movie, and it's at least it's at least straightforward. Um, but I I do appreciate that he puts in a lot of work in terms of the background research of the movies that he does, talking to a lot of experts, and uh, I can I can understand that he did a lot of that when when making Interstellar. But um, you know I it was it was the same for me that I saw. 2001 Space Odyssey for the first time after I saw Interstellar. Uh, so you can tell that he was kind of doing his homage to that movie um, with, with that sort of thing. Well, I know we got to get to our question of the day because we were going to make this a, a shorter uh, podcast. But I, I just wanted to say that if you really want to get Alec going about movies, just mention Michael Bay. It used to be that way. No, I don't like Michael Bay, but but I I mean there's worse there's worse things than Michael Bay. Michael Bay is just there. <laughs> He's whatever. He's not a racer head. If you want to hear about a racer head, we'll have a two hour podcast about how that was the worst thing. Okay, well we should do a we should have a Trinity Road Times like subsidiary that's just talking about movies the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. We should. <laughs> who wait the first who has episode seen will be two hours on The Last Jedi. <laughs> Yeah, I had no issue with the last Jedi. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I, I didn't, I didn't hate that movie at all. A lot of people hated that movie, but I thought it was fine. I hated the one after. Yeah, the one after it was complete garbage. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, our question of the day is kind of down that road. I mean, obviously, Star Wars was a revival in a sense. Um, but our question of the day is if you have any TV show that you have watched that you've enjoyed that has not been brought back um, and revived, which one would it be and why? Like shows so that were you... canceled and you wish they would come back? No, just maybe a popular show that people love that um, has not been revived. Like a show like, for example, Night Court on NBC uh, used to be a show that's been revived. The Frasier revival that's going on right now. Things like that. So you guys might not be old enough to remember when, when Cheers was on, but Cheers was one of the absolute best comedies. I was actually going to say that too. It's very good. So Cheers is great, yeah. The, the, thing, the reason why you always see medical dramas and lawyer dramas on TV is because those are like fountains, endless fountains of stories. You can always make a story set in a hospital or in a, a law firm or anything like that. And you can always set these stories of whoever's walking into the bar today. And the, it, it's surprising to me that there haven't been more Cheers ripoffs or at least a, a Cheers reboot done uh, since, since that, especially in this current era of, of reboots. Just make a new Cheers and it, everyone would love it. You're right. I think they would. Now, I, I was Cheers. I was thinking about Cheers. I was also thinking about ER just because it was my favorite show of all of all time. I would I would still like to see that come back because it was just I just look forward to that every week. But yeah, such a good of, show. Do you, remember, do you remember the show Friday Night Lights? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I wish they would bring that back. I was so upset when when that was over because I'm like, no, I want to see more. I want to see more. So I would mm -hmm. I would bring that back. That's my answer. 
So my favorite show of all time was the OA on Netflix. Um, it was, so I, I have a lot to say about um, uh, the management of these TV shows and these movies and, and how they're kind of milked for everything they can take to the point where there's like nothing left. And it's just like a rotting husk of an idea. One of the things I loved about the OA is that they wrote five seasons and they said this is a five season TV show and it's not going longer than that. Mm-hmm. And they already planned out all five seasons. And that's what this show is. And it was one of the most inventive and creative things I've ever seen. And it was very, uh, it was challenging mentally, not as in a sense of like, you're going to have to figure out what's going on, but more as in like, it just made you think about things that you've never really thought about before in ways you've never thought about them. I highly recommend watching it. It's very exciting. It's very interesting. Um, it's very compelling. Um, it's very, let me look at my thesaurus real quick and see what else I got in here. It's very um, intriguing and endearing. No, that's wrong. Yeah, word. no, that's a different. Yeah, no, it's it just, it's, it's, it's brilliant, really. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, you should watch it on Netflix. It's, it's, it ends after the second season, though, and it ends on a huge cliffhanger. Uh, and there's a whole, there was a whole movement to try and bring it back. It's kind of become like a cult following kind of thing. And there was actually a woman that went on a hunger strike in front of the Netflix headquarters trying to bring this show back because wow. uh, it's, uh, it's, um, it's really good. It's Britt Marling, who is my favorite person in Hollywood. She made the show that's popular right now, uh, um, A Murder at the End of the World, which is also really good. You should also see that. Uh, so yeah. That's mine. And I would bring that back. Uh, I've always said, like, if I was like Jeff Bezos and, like, I had billions of dollars, I would fund that show just myself. <laughs> like, it's that good. So you should check it out. Yeah. Mine, I, I, I'm trying to decide between two. I'm not going to say two, obviously, because the question is one. I would bring back The West Wing. That is my all time favorite TV show. I can watch that from beginning to end. And then start it over and learn something new and, and, and find something new that I didn't see before. Aaron Sorkin is a genius writer. And uh, some of, the, some of the, the scripts in that show um, are unbelievable. And uh, I, I would absolutely dig a, a new West Wing with some of the original cast. And they're now the new administration in this fictional White House I would, I would absolutely dig that. I, I would watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah. So, I think that's gonna wrap up this edition of the Lot Cast. Uh, as we talked about, <laughs> about half of the show <laughs> NC State, and the other half we talked about movies and things. But that's what you get when you uh, listen to the Lot Cast. So. Uh, guys, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll be back for another edition here, hopefully next week. And go pack. Hashtag DJ Horn, hashtag CBOA. <laughs> <laughs>